tonight. Um, I want, you know, I was thinking about something last month and um, uh, had led the, by the Lord to, to think about this. You know, in the past couple of years, the body of Christ has been just COVID attacked. What a nuisance this has been. Uh, many have uh, been fighting off fear and depression. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the attack in these past years has caused a lot of people to lose joy. And that ought not be. That ought not be. So tonight I want to look at this uh, fruit of our recreated human spirit as this year begins here for us, uh, the fruit of, of, of joy. Uh, and that's what I want to talk about tonight, keeping our joy. It's always sad to me when I see a believer has lost joy. This just shouldn't be. So let's start to look at this tonight. Let's just pray first, perhaps. Uh, Father God, we just ask Holy Spirit to make this connection in our hearts, Father, with your word, that truly, Lord God, we would leave this building today holding on to the joy that we have in the Lord. It sustains us, Father, in these days ahead, and we thank you, Lord God, uh, that you would pour this out into us, Father, this fruit of our recreated spirit. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when you first look at joy here, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How about a little background here first? We can leave that scripture up if you'd be so kind for a little while. Um, You know, it's very important here that we remember that um, this list that we have here of the fruit of the Spirit, before this, Paul talks about the works of the flesh. And he contrasts it here with the fruit of the Spirit. And the, and the works of the, notice works of the flesh, it's a plural, but fruit of the Spirit is a singular. How about that? Not fruits of the Spirit, but fruit of the Spirit. And when we examine this carefully in the light of uh, other scriptures in in the New Testament, we come to realize that there's really one fruit of the Holy Spirit, and that is love. But all these other fruits that we mention here flow out of love and proceed out of the new nature of love that the believer receives. So when you're looking at this, you got to remember when you're reading punctuation here, I'm I'm reading what you're reading. When you're looking at punctuation here, the original uh, Word of God doesn't have punctuation in Old and New Testament. Nice men put that there to help us. But they do make mistakes because the punctuation is not anointed of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is anointed of the Holy Spirit. So when you really look at this, if the fruit of the Spirit is love, after the word love should not come a comma, it should come a colon. A colon means that everything that proceeds uh, out, of, uh, the, out to the right of the colon comes out of the things that proceed from the left of the colon. So in other words, uh, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, all come from love. They all flow out of love. That's a better understanding of the Scripture. They all flow out of this fruit of love. And uh, I, you heard me say fruit of the, of the Holy Spirit, but is it? That's another big question we have, because when you look at the, um, your New Testament especially, especially New Testament, and you see the word spirit but doesn't have the word holy in front of it, you've got to ask a question, what spirit is this? Is this Holy Spirit or is this our recreated human spirit? And uh, here, 
Oh, it's gone already. That's okay. Here, more than likely, it shouldn't be a cap. There it is. Shouldn't be a capital S, but a small s. Not Holy Spirit, but our recreated human spirit. Uh, the word tells us that Jesus is the vine. We are the branches, right? The vine doesn't bear fruit. The branches bear fruit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't need to bear the fruit of love. We do that. He is love. So we are the ones who bear the fruit of a new nature in Christ Jesus. And our nature we've been given is the nature of God's Spirit, the nature of love. So we bear the fruit of love in our recreated human spirit. And tonight here, and you see the group of them listed, we're going to look at joy tonight because joy is in love. It comes out of love. And we can also see the Trinity at work here when you look at this scripture. Here we have the Father's new nature of love is in us. We have the Son who is our peace. And Holy Spirit brings us all joy in believing, it says in the Word of God. So they're almost like a, 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 a triune group here, love, joy, and peace. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, you know, they're interesting because have uh, you ever noticed when someone gets born again, all three of these fruits show up simultaneously? Right? No one has to teach them to love. All of a sudden they have this love in their heart for the Lord and for the body of Christ. They have, they're noted for having peace. And they're noted for having this dumb look on their face with what we know is joy. Ah, they're saying, look at the face. Uh, yeah, right? Love, peace, joy, and, and, and love all show up simultaneously. The rest of the fruit are pretty progressive, aren't they? Uh, as we grow in Christ. No surprise, self-control is at the last. Uh, they, that, that's a progressive release of God's love through us as we mature and grow in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit matures. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And associated with that, we always have joy and peace. And uh, so joy here, um, our problem is that probably the way we, we, we think, the way our culture operates, uh, we associate joy with human joy. That is not what this is. That's a mistake. Uh, this is something only for believers. Those without Christ cannot know biblical joy. I don't know if you ever realized that. Uh, because biblical joy is not a natural joy or a moral joy. The, those that don't know Christ as their Savior can know a natural joy and a moral joy, but they cannot know a spiritual joy, of the joy of believing. Uh, the natural joy is a gladness. It's a contentment, a satisfaction. Uh, moral joy has to do with a sense of, uh, is related to freedom and liberty, like when someone's been freed from political oppression. That's a moral joy that they feel. Uh, but this natural joy and this moral joy are always connected to circumstances. If the circumstances are good, there's joy. If the circumstances are not good, they don't have any joy. Uh, so it's only an outward expression of the pleasure they have within them. It's a superficial emotional uh, dependent upon circumstances, right? Uh, I don't know if you've heard on the news, I've heard uh, there's been an incredible uh, uh, mental uh, stress over people in the last couple years. A lot of mental health issues are, are arising. A lot of people are depressed uh, because of what's been going around. And of course, the news media doesn't help. And uh, wow, they're experiencing the circumstances of life pressing against them and stealing the natural joy they have because they're always dependent on circumstances. 
Now, you've heard the expression, money can't make you happy. Well, that's ridiculous. Of course it can. If I put a $100 bill in your hand, you'll smile. But it can't give you joy. That happiness, that joy is dependent on circumstances only. Spend the 100 and you'll have a pussy get on your face. See? Uh, but joy is something from the Lord that is not dependent on circumstances, whether they're good or they're bad. We're going to look at that in a minute here. Uh, the kind of joy the Bible speaks of exists apart from the circumstances of life. Uh, it's a deep-seated uh, state of well-being and confidence that circumstances cannot alter in our lives. Uh, it's a spiritual force from Holy Spirit that He puts in us that is settled in us, uh, and nothing we can experience in life should take that from us. It's the kind of a joy that will keep you in the hard times. Hey, the COVID times. It's a joy that will keep you in the hard times. Uh, a couple examples of this here. First, we have Jesus. In uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame as he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy of the cross I don't know about you, when I look at a cross, I don't see joy there. I see a place of suffering and death. I remember one Bible teacher said years ago, uh, people should stop wearing gold crosses around their necks. It's not a piece of jewelry. It's a place of death. Maybe they should wear electric chairs around their necks because that's what it is. It's a place of execution and death. I think you're a little extreme, but anyway, I, I got his point, you know. Uh, yeah, joy for the joy set before him. Wow. The joy, is, of course, was his love that he had for you and me, that we could not help ourselves, and he had did it for us. Uh, just, uh, that's, a, that, that's a love that is, is beyond my, my thinking here. How Jesus considered uh, the cross as a joy set before him, uh, this cannot be a natural joy. That's impossible. Uh, he had a supernatural force within him, pointing him to eternity. It's an assurity that he could not have been shaken. Another example here is Paul and Silas uh, in Acts chapter 16 here. We have an incredible example here of this joy at work. Here Paul and, Paul and Silas, Paul, Paul and Silas are thrown into a dungeon and they are persecuted for the gospel's sake. Verse 22, then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And they had been laid with many stripes on them. That means their flesh was ripped when they were whipped. And they threw them into a prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Wow, that's amazing. Inner prison, more than likely this is a hole in the ground. More than likely in stocks, there's probably rotting bodies around them. There's probably skeletons around them. There's probably rats jumping over their legs. This is ugly to the max. When we think of prisons today uh, in America, 
uh, we were affected by the Puritans. It was the Puritans that changed the uh, penitentiary system in America. That's why it's called a penitentiary. You go to do penance. And their concept was people were to be treated respectfully, they have a Bible in their cell, that they would find God. Prior to the Puritans, if you went to jail or prison, your family was responsible to feed you. If they didn't, you die. They didn't take care of you in prison. Your family had to come and actually take care of you. Wow. And here, going back even further in Paul and Silas's day, they're nothing more than in a hole in the, in the ground. I don't know how big it was, but they're in stocks fastened. This is an ugly place, okay? You got the picture here. Ugly, ugly, ugly. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Uh, but now, that would make nobody happy, right? Yet they're singing. How could they be singing? That's a supernatural joy. That's the, uh, jo- uh, jo- uh, the um, fruit of joy that would cause them to act like that in the worst of circumstances in life. Another example, uh, there's so many testimonies of this, uh, the martyrs over the centuries. Uh, we have many stories of martyrs that were in the process of being burnt at the stake, and they were singing hymns. Eyewitnesses' accounts of them smiling. Eyewitnesses' accounts of them looking up to the sky with outward signs of joy and bravery. Huh? How can that be? Because their joy was full. They had the supernatural uh, joy in their life that those people who were watching them die did not understand. And it definitely affected those who were watching them because they weren't screaming out for help and they were smiling, looking to the heavens. Wow. That is an incredible thought. Only the Holy Spirit could do that to give them a supernatural joy. So what you're seeing here is there's a joy that this world does not know that we now have totally available to us. We got to, this is something precious, right? If I gave you bars of gold or, or, or a little handful of diamonds, you would say, oh, that's precious. This is far more precious. When the Lord gives us gifts and the Lord gives us something that this world cannot know of, we have something precious. And it's amazing. You don't have to earn this. You don't have to try to be good enough to have it. As soon as Jesus enters your heart, that fruit of love works in you and joy starts to come forth from that fruit of love. It's an evidence of salvation. You know, how do I know I'm saved? Do you have love in your heart? Do you have joy? Do you have peace? You never had that before? Guess what? You met Christ. Because men can't do this to you. Your brains can't do this to you. You can't learn this. You can't work it up. This is a supernatural impartation from heaven in our lives. Cool stuff. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, it talks about joy in affliction. And certainly that certainly speaks of the martyrs. That certainly speaks of, speaks of Paul and Silas. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, with joy. In affliction, joy came with it. Wow. So as I said before, this is a very deep-seated recognition of well-being that no circumstances can alter in our lives. A joy has a hope within it. It's this. It enables the believer uh, to rejoice even though they may be suffering. It gives them to the, an ability to endure suffering. Absolutely amazing here. Then we have what James here tells us in chapter 1 in verses 2 to 4. 
My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete and lack in nothing. Wow. Joy when falling into various trials, testing of faith. Hey, like I said, joy will keep you in the hard times. And for a lot of people we've seen uh, today, there's hard times out there. But the believer can be kept in joy. See, they can be kept in full joy. So back here to Galatians chapter 5 uh, that we were looking at in verse 22. Uh, in the Greek here, um, uh, the word joy is kara, which is a noun. That's important. And it comes from the verb kairo, which is a verb. So why is that so important? It's a noun. Because joy throughout the entire Old Testament is an action. But in the New Testament, it's a thing. It's a noun. So a noun meaning the fruit of the believer's character. Uh, it always means to rejoice, which is something you do. But here in the New Testament, it's something you are. It's a thing. It's a tangible thing. Because in the Bible overall, joy is always associated with life. Joy is seen in life. Uh, apart from circumstances, the joy of God still remains strong. And we see here both in the Old and the New Testament, God himself is seen as the source of true joy. He's the object of our joy. In Psalm 104, verse 31, it says, He is shown as the God of joy. And I said before, it's something you do. In the Old Testament, joy has a voice. Isn't that wild? In the book of Jeremiah, it says the voice of joy. Joy has a voice that does something. In Zephaniah, it talks about joy speaks in shouts. How about that? It's, that, like I said before, Old Testament, it's something you do. Uh, in the Old Testament, joy is associated with shouting. It's because something in us has got to come out to be expressed. Now, lest we get carnal, shouting by itself doesn't produce joy. Don't do that. It's something that already exists in you that has to come out. Uh, the, Bible, the biblical joy is not something you work up by shouting. It's a confidence and it's an exuberance, uh, far more than an exuberance, actually. It's something that you rest in because you have the assurance of a testimony within yourself. Uh, Peter calls it joy inexpressible. How, does these, how, do, how do I find words to express the joy I'm feeling inside? That's why people shout, because you can't find words to express it. Now, it is, there's a joy in you that can't be contained. So in the Old Testament, it, everybody has to see it. It's an outward outpouring. Uh, and so if you're in one of those funny-looking charismatic churches here and they shout a lot, because they got joy. And they're, and they're not in, in, inhibited to express it. I don't know about you, but I was raised Roman Catholic. First time I ever came into a church like this it was, it was the Assemblies of God in the late 1970s. I went, these people are crazy. They are out of their minds. And I'm looking, but God's here. God is here. And there's something joyful by just being here. I don't understand it with my head, but there's something different. Well, I was experiencing the spirit realm where there was freedom in the spirit realm. And although I thought they were a little kooky, I came back. 
because I couldn't find that anywhere else. I came back. And as, you know, one Bible teacher once said, hang around a, a muddy slope long enough, you're going to fall in. That's right. So in the New Testament here, we have more. Joy is part of our daily life. In Philippians chapter 1, we pray with joy. In Colossians chapter 1, we thank with joy. How about that? In Philippians chapter 1 again, our faith involves joy. This should be normal for us. So when we go here back to um, uh, Galatians chapter 5 here in verse 22, uh, we see here we're talking about a New Testament joy. But if you notice here, uh, if you have that verse, you can show it again, but if not, don't worry about it. Galatians 5, 22. If you notice when it says love, then comes joy. There it is. Look, it's right next to joy, peace. I said that before, and I think this is very intentional why, why Paul is doing this. They go side by side. It's very important here uh, that the uh, joy, first there's the joy of salvation, followed by peace with God. They fit perfectly together. That's a kind of whole separate teaching, but to share a little bit on that, uh, they're, they're like fraternal twins, joy and peace. They're like a dynamic duo. Not Batman and Robin, but they're like a dynamic duo, joy and peace. Uh, you can't have one without the other, right? Uh, you can't experience the peace of God without having joy, right? You can't have God's joy without having a settled peace that you're right with God. Greatest thing on the face of this earth is to know you're right with God. And you can't do anything to make that happen. It's your faith in Christ, and Holy Spirit infuses you with it. Uh, so, uh, this isn't the only place, though, in Scripture where we, oh, it's gone, where we see joy and peace together. In Proverbs chapter 12, counselors of peace have joy, it says. How about that? Counselors of peace. Got to tell Matt that. Counselors of peace have joy. In Isaiah 55, you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. There it is again. She shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. I like that. That's a nice thing to say every Sunday. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace when the guy's done talking. Okay, so, uh, so we see two other important scriptures here that we don't want to forget uh, in the New Testament that shows us this in important connection between joy and peace. We have Romans chapter 14 here, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. In other words, it's not, a, it's not a natural carnal thing. No, 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 But righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. First, we're in right standing with the Father. He gives us a right standing, I can't bring myself. As it tells us in Corinthians, I am the righteous. He, I become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? The righteousness of God. Um, I'm God's righteousness. What an amazing statement. And in that, joy and peace then come forth, because you know you're right with God. In Romans chapter 15 here in verse 13, it says, I love this scripture, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's joy and peace again together. So, Holy Spirit is the one that brings us this joy and peace that I can't find apart from Him. Really got to get that. 
I can't find that in part from him. I can't go hearing nice soft music and meditate and define my peace. I can't go put on smelly things and go, that smells like lavender. Ah, I have peace. No, it doesn't come from smelling and meditating and hearing soft music and seagulls in the background. That's all in the natural realm, man. We're called to something far greater than that. If I could do that without Jesus, what do I need Jesus for? Because I can't do that, not this kind of joy and peace, because I can't do that without Jesus. Only He can provide that. The world is full of counterfeits, right? All that stuff in the natural to soothe and calm down with the music and the, and the sense and, and hear, the, hear the seagulls in the rain, all that stuff. That's all counterfeits of what you cannot find without Jesus. You cannot find that without Jesus. In Christ, hey, put the seagulls on if you like them. It's okay but they're not going to be my source. My source is going to come from something only that heaven can bring me. And if I, all I have to do is believe, and Jesus, my Lord and Savior, is within me by Holy Spirit and creating this. This is good stuff. Amen. This is good stuff. So, here Holy Spirit deposits in us uh, our, our fruit, and this becomes a, a part of our very character that He brings through us. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're not going to turn there, in verse 14, Paul tells us that the world can't know these things of the Spirit. And uh, this type of a joy is only found in the Spirit, because the world doesn't know Christ. Therefore, things of the Spirit like joy are only discerned by those who are alive in Christ. So if we are alive in Christ— and I believe I'm talking, hopefully, to believers today. I, I see a lot of them out there. Uh, I got to treat this precious, right? If somebody that you really liked a lot gave you a nice gift, regardless of what it was, but they gave it to you, it means something to you personally. Well, my gosh, if Father God has given me joy and peace, my gosh, I should treat this as something really precious and sacred. I, w I don't want to allow the circumstances of this world to take it away from me. I don't want to allow the circumstances of this world to say, but we're more important. Don't you want to care about us? No, I don't want to care about you. I want joy and peace to reign in my life, not worry and fear. I, I, I really believe this. I don't want worry and fear to reign in my life. I want joy and peace to reign in my life. I have to do something about it. I have to treat this as serious. Why would I not? And yet, so many believers out there they don't treat it that serious. They treat the circumstances of life, and I'm not saying they don't cry loud, but they, they treat the circumstances of life as greater than what God has already given them. So some, somewhere we have to protect our inner self from uh, the circumstances of life that are, that are screaming at us, look at me, look at me, look at me, I'm a big deal, I'm a big deal. No, you're not. You just think you are. My Bible tells me you're subject to change. That if I can see you, you're subject to change. You are not the final word. God's joy in me, His peace in me, that's the final word that I want to reign regardless of what comes my way. That's, I ha we have to have this attitude and maintain it. Because, hey, to be on planet Earth is, is negative circumstances are going to try to crop up. Well, when they do, I got to respond. But I'm not going to respond the way the world that doesn't know Christ wants me to respond. I'm going to respond as a believer, and I'm going to focus in on the joy and the peace I have. And you know, one of the greatest ways to do that, quite frankly, 
is to sing. Got to have a song on your lips. Really. It's very personal. I, I have several, you know, Christian songs that mean something to me, and you don't want to hear me sing them. But I don't really care. They're for me. And the Lord thinks I have a wonderful voice. Isn't that strange? I mean, he's not tin deaf. I don't, I don't get it, but I ha- he thinks I have a wonderful voice. Actually, it tells us in Scripture, he smells our worship. He doesn't hear it. So when you sing, it, he's not really hearing as much as he's smelling the sweet fragrance of Christ in you coming up to him. And it pleases him. So I really would highly recommend to have a song on your lips that worships the Lord. You know, it could be any of these that we sing here on a Sunday. With me, it's probably stuff I remember from the 70s and early 80s. They're still stuck there, and they're not going away. And if nobody remembers them, I really don't care. I'm going to remember them. And, you know, or whatever that causes you to bring the the Word of the Lord back to the Lord when you sing. And it allows joy to rise up. It allows peace to rise up. And, man, I want that to remain, not what I see around me that's trying to take that from me. Um, you got you got to sing yourself happy. Uh, to tell you a true story, I mentioned it here before. I don't want to mention the guy's name. He's gone home to be with the Lord, but there was this very famous pastor. I don't know if he was a Bible teacher, probably not. Pastor, and he had a church of about five thousand people. He was in uh, Midwest, and he uh, got into a bad depression. I don't know what happened to the guy, but he got into a really bad depression, and he was constantly in demand for speaking, so he would be on his church on a Sunday, and a lot of times during the week he'd be flying somewhere, speaking at other places, other, other pastors' conferences and stuff, and uh, he always would be depressed. He would get on airplanes and hope they would crash. They would land and go, still alive. And somewhere the light bulb went on. You can't go on like this. This has got to stop. And the Lord reminded him, how did you start out? It wasn't as a pastor. started out as a song leader. We call them worship leaders or worship pastors. In the church he came from, they were called song leaders. And uh, he remembered that's how he started life off with in ministry. He had a very good voice, and it was singing. So his testimony is he sung his way out of depression. And it never, ever came back. He sung his way out. And I remember this gentleman, he had a lot of joy on his face. Hey, when you sing and you worship the Lord, it puts a smile on your face. Because you're smiling inside, but your body's uh, testifying about it, you know? So I would just really highly recommend. I know some people, that's how they start their morning out, singing. Uh, I would highly recommend uh, what song brings joy to you in the Lord. And I don't care what people like about it. If they think it's dopey or silly, you sing it and you worship the Lord. Uh, last several days I've, I've had that happen where I've got up, sing, got up in the morning singing songs unto the Lord. Not, not long, maybe a couple minutes, but I, I had to get it out. And I didn't probably realize even what I was doing, I was starting my day off with joy. Didn't intentionally try it. It was just starting my day off with joy. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. There should always be a song of praise on your lips. Always, always. So we see here in in Scripture here um, that we've examined that joy, uh, biblical joy, uh, is a supernatural fruit, which means that that operates in our lives, which means Holy Spirit brings it through us. He, He brings this fruit out of us. We bear it. And uh, we need to let it grow to completeness. 
So as I said before, joy has a voice, and it should be expressed on our lips, which really brings me to my whole point tonight. I kind of said all that to say this, never let go of your joy. That's really the message I have tonight, but you can't come up here and speak in 30 seconds and, and walk away. Never let go of your joy. Boy, if you, if you forget everything I said today, who cares? Just don't forget the Word of God. Never let go of your joy. Never, ever, ever. Uh, joy is normal for the believer. Not experiencing joy is not normal for the believer. In other words, that's not God's will for our lives that we would not experience joy. We need to always experience joy. And I want to just uh, mention a couple things that are very important here about this. Did you know that the evil one cannot steal your joy? That's because a lot of people will say that, oh, the enemy, the devil took my joy. No, he didn't. The enemy cannot take your joy. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 22, no one takes your joy away from you. Look at that. Jesus' words are good enough for me. No one takes, will take, oh, this is a different translation. No one takes your joy away from you. So, then why do believers lose joy? Because they give it up. And that's a key here. The, the enemy cannot take your joy from you. You have to give it up. Why would I do that? You're giving it up because he puts the squeeze on you. Remember what I said about circumstances. Uh, real joy in the Lord is not dependent on circumstances. The enemy puts the squeeze on you with circumstances of life. The uglies of life that try to attack you so that you or me would say, joy's gone. I have to give it up. The enemy, uh, hey, the COVID years we've been gone through, that's a squeeze. This whole season's a squeeze so that you would spit out joy. He doesn't want you having joy. He doesn't want it. He hates it. Make him miserable. Have a lot of joy. Always do the opposite of what the enemy wants you to do. A lot of people say, oh, I don't know if I know what God's will for my life is. Really? Do you know what the enemy's will for your life is right now? Oh, yeah. Do the opposite. Seriously, do the opposite. That's how you find the will of God for your life. I don't know what the will of God is in all this. What's the will of the enemy? Oh, that's easy. Do the opposite. And you found the will of God. It's just that simple. He does not want you to have joy. He hates when you have joy. Good. Have a lot of joy. Uh, so the squeeze here, I guess the best picture is like the bar of soap in the shower. Uh, if, you know, if you have this bar of soap and it's all lathered up, you know what it's like if you squeeze that bar too, uh, the wrong way, it pops up. Rather, you've got to hold it really tight so it doesn't pop out of your hand. We have to give it up. He puts a squeeze on us to make us squirm with our joy to pop it, to give it up. He can't take it from us. And again, I'm not making little about the comments that some people are in horrible circumstances in life that have attacked them, uh, whether it be physical or uh, financial or family issues, uh, just horrible, unfortunate things that have happened. They're real. I'm not trying to diminish that, but they shouldn't govern the joy in my heart. There are obviously obstacles to overcome in Christ. I remember one brother in the Lord on his stationery, he always had at the bottom, obstacles are opportunities. 
He was a businessman, but he, he liked that. Obstacles or opportunities. Hey, every obstacle that comes my way is an opportunity for me to overcome it because of Christ. Every obstacle. They're obstacles meant to be overcome. And um, so we need uh, to let our joy come forth. Uh, it's got a voice to be heard, and the evil one will try to get you to give it up, so shout all the more. You lose, devil, today. I got up this morning. Ha, ha. I'm up now. You're in trouble. Hey. So the good news is, though, if you popped your joy out of your hand there, the good news is your joy is not gone. It's just dormant. So you have to make it rise up again. It can be restored. As I had said, I think, you know, singing unto the Lord will does it. I'm not talking about putting on worship music and you worship with it. You open your own mouth where it's just you and Jesus. Uh, and you know, ask Holy Spirit to return your joy. Uh, the Word of God talks about the joy of our salvation. Ask Him to return the joy of your salvation. Uh, and remember, as we do this, just in life, we need to always remember we have to tend the field of our hearts. You have to take care of it. You know, we tell people in premarital counseling, uh, when you get married, your marriage is like a garden. You're only going to get out of it what you put in it, and you've got to tend your garden, or weeds are going to grow and choke your garden. In marriage, weeds will grow and choke it. You've got to make sure you tend your garden that the weeds don't grow and choke your marriage. Likewise, we need to make sure we're tending the garden of our heart, that we don't allow the circumstances of life to choke the joy out of us. And here we have Jesus here in Mark chapter 4, verse 19, just to mention this briefly. And he says, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in, choke, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. The enemy is always after the word of God. He doesn't want it to be spoken from our lips. And we need to make sure we tend our heart that the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and that doesn't mean money itself. You can have not have two dimes to rub together, and you can think money can solve all your problems in life. That's the deceitfulness of riches. Doesn't mean having lots of money. Uh -huh. It means if you think money is your answer for everything, that's the deceitfulness of riches. And the desire for other things. Obviously, other things that want to be an idol in your heart and demand your worship that, that will take worship away from the Lord. That's a very personal question, what that could be. But they come in to choke the Word of God that we would become unfruitful. And of course, we're talking here tonight about the Word of joy. The enemy wants us to be, uh, receive the cares of the world that will choke us. Don't let it happen. You've got to tend to your own heart. I can't do it for you. You've got to do it yourself, right? If you have a little kid and you expect him to tie his own shoes, and sooner or later you come to the conclusion, kid, you don't tie him, you're going to go barefoot. I'm not tying him anymore. You've got time for yourself now. All of us have to walk with the Lord for ourselves. All we are here is uh, uh, sort of like a sales meeting <laughs> and to encourage you to go out and sell. But actually, it's, we're, we're, we're sitting here under the Word of God. It tells us we're under a transformation process. Just by sitting here, there's a transformation happening in the spirit realm in us. And, but all we can do is encourage you. I can't walk for you. You can't walk for me. We all are responsible to guard our hearts and make sure we stimulate that joy.
So the cares of this world, that could be translated also the COVID years. Uh, the evil one will try to choke and squeeze the Word of God from us if we allow these competing things to come in and the fear of this world age and the lies of this world age will just make us give up our joy. So I want to close here tonight realizing that we need to tend the field of our heart and never give up our joy. It means everything. And keep in mind, if you have children, they're learning the joy of the Lord by watching your life. Have grandchildren, they're learning the joy of the Lord by watching your life. You are constantly watched whether you like it or not. And they're learning from you this is normal. Let's not show them what's not normal as normal. Right? We, we tell people in premarital counseling uh, uh, regarding solving problems in marriage, surely to be married is to have conflict that has to be resolved. Uh, how do you know how to resolve conflict? Unconsciously, you will always remember how your parents resolved conflict in the home you were raised in. And if it was not a productive thing, you have destructive tendencies to resolve conflict in a destructive way in your marriage. Because that's all you know to go back. How do you know how to be a husband or a wife? You go back on the home you were raised in unconsciously and pull those memories, and they teach you, good or bad, how to be a husband or wife. How do you resolve conflict? By watching how your parents did it. Too many homes out there, he who yells the loudest gets what he wants. That is destructive. And that's why we need to go to the Word of God for the wisdom we have, not rely on our, our memories and experiences of life. But likewise here, in that example, your children are watching you. Your grandchildren are watching you. Your nieces and nephews, they're watching you. And they're learning from you how to have a life of joy. Are you showing them that? It can mean a lot. Let's just pray here. Father God, tonight we thank you for all those that would be listening to this Word uh, Father God, to those that have uh, let their joy go, Father, we ask that uh, their joy would be restored unto them, Father God, that you would put a song on their hearts, a song on their lips to worship you until that joy, Father, is ruling once again, that the joy and the peace of believing and all believing, Father, that joy of salvation would bubble up in them, Father God, and hold them together in these days ahead. Father, we thank you for this precious joy and peace in Christ that you have given us. Father God, we want to take it seriously from this moment forth as something that is so precious that this world does not know and cannot offer. That, Father God, we would always be known as a people of joy. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name as we leave here today, as we go out with joy and be led forth with peace. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. Amen. amen.